0: I'm Carol Coletta, and this is Night Cities. He's been called the shadow mayor of Center City, Philadelphia, and there is no one in America today who knows more about how to cultivate a downtown than Paul Levy. Paul is president and CEO of Center City District Philadelphia, the organization supported by property owners that makes the district appeal to businesses and residents alike by keeping it clean, safe, green, and active. Paul, in the 1950s, Philadelphia had 300,000 manufacturing jobs. Today, it has fewer than 25,000. It's a reminder of how profound the economic transformation of cities has been, but even with that dramatic shift, Philadelphia is an increasingly vibrant place. What's been the key to Philadelphia's recovery?
1: Well, I think the recovery really dates from the seventies and eighties when the city clearly understood the decline in manufacturing and like a lot of American cities began to focus on, you know, post industrial activity, education, health care retail and office sector so we had a good and strong diverse employment base going into the 80s but it was not yet big enough to really replace a lot of lost jobs and then like a lot of cities in the 80s as the federal government pulled away the city had a whole lot less resources for basic services for cleaning and safety so we had this real sort of disparity between a Whole series of new office buildings, new healthcare and educational units or, or institutions, and a public environment that was in disarray.
0: Philadelphia magazine said this about you No Philadelphian is more responsible than Paul Levy for transforming downtown from the hellhole of the 1980s to the archetype of intimate, walkable urbanity it's become. How did you do it?
1: Well, first of all, none of us do these things alone, as you know, and there are a huge number of people who have deserved tremendous credit for what's happened here. I mean, we started in the 90s with a lot of very good investment uh, in our convention center. We had a great mayor, Ned Rendell, who really began to focus on arts and entertainment. So I think the first part of the revival of Philadelphia, really beginning in the 90s, was the diversification of the economy that is We were very good with office buildings, very good with education and health care, but we were a city that shut down at 5 p.m. We didn't have a lot of evening activity. The Center City District was created just at that time as well to deal with what was basically the crisis in the public environment. It was a city that was perceived to be dirty and dangerous. It really wasn't that dangerous, but it had the perception of not being a safe place. And so when the Center City District began, it was focused on just two simple things, clean and safe. And while one should be able to take those things for granted, that was not the case for a lot of cities at the end of the 80s or the beginning of the 90s. So a lot of the success or the credit we get for success came first just from that highly visible, making the place clean, putting a uniform presence out on the street, And then the story of the 90s in Philadelphia has really been the interaction between this process of diversification of more arts and entertainment, more hotels, more residents supplementing a strong office district, and our role in managing the public environment, first with clean and safe, then with a huge number of physical improvements, landscaping, lighting, directional signage and being the manager really of the of the public environment in the downtown so no one mayor no one person no one organization deserves the credit it's the interaction and the partnerships between so many people that produce the great success we have
0: you know paul you're describing a public private partnership in in your case one that comes i think through the structure and the power of a of a business improvement district which you run i mean you've been called the shadow mayor of downtown but i'm curious when you think about what is the rightful role of the public and what is the rightful role of the private and and you think also about tax dollars being raised through public purposes but spent specifically on a particular place in the city. How do you sort through what's appropriate and what's not?
1: Yeah, and that's the question all of us wrestle with today, particularly those people running business improvement districts. My way of simply talking about it is that The center city area is about 6% of the land area of the city, but it holds 43 to 44% of all jobs in the city. So from an economic development point of view, this ought to be the absolute top priority of every elected official, except when you add in the fact that maybe only 7 or 8% of the voters in the city live there which means 95, 96% of the people who elect mayors and elect people to city council live in neighborhoods outside the downtown, and they have a perfect right to want good playgrounds, clean streets, good police services. And so the challenge for city centers and, and university campuses in the middle of cities that are wrestling with other problems is they may be the center of the universe from employment, But there are scarce resources, and it's the job of every mayor and city council person to provide services to everybody who's out there. So the genesis of of business improvement districts was a recognition that government was already strained, that they had to provide services to the residents of the city and that you needed some extra layer, and in this case a business improvement district where property owners agreed to pay more to supplement city government. Now, in some countries you would say, well, gee, that's the government's role, but we invest a lot less in our cities than do a lot of Asian or European cities, and so we are we are dealt a different hand. So I think from the point of view of public and private There are core functions our city government does, basic policing. We supplement that with uniformed, unarmed individuals. The city cleans streets. We clean sidewalks, which are a private property owner's responsibility. And then we've added in a huge number of amenities, signs, landscaping, and now parks, which are all great public amenities, but in a time of scarcity, City government can't always do that within business areas if it can't do it within residential areas.
0: This tension between serving residents and serving the major employment center, I think is part of the conversation that frequently goes on. We hear it, it's pitting downtown and neighborhoods against one another. People who make that argument will say if downtown is getting support, the neighborhoods must be suffering. But I know you believe that without growth, there can be no equity. And the key to the growth is a vibrant downtown. Explain the connection between growth and equity.
1: Well, let's start with the basics, which is in Philadelphia, for example, 43% of all jobs within the city boundaries are in the downtown. Another 11% are right next door in University City where a lot of healthcare and educational institutions are. Those jobs are held by people across the entire city. know 53 percent of the jobs in the downtown are held by city residents 43 percent of downtown jobs are held by people who don't live downtown so it's always important to differentiate between the downtown as a place of residence for a limited number of people and the downtown as a place of work which is the most accessible place in our city we're at the center of the transit system So first of all, we've got a downtown where we've got people from across the city coming in for their income, to support their families, et cetera. So I think one, recognizing the economic function of city centers of our anchor institution districts are really important. But obviously there are huge needs out there in all of our neighborhoods, and we are in what Neil Pierce a long time ago called the post-federal era. We can't look to the federal government the type of transfer payments that we might have gotten in the 1960s and so without growth in our major employment nodes for cities that are so dependent on locally generated tax revenues you don't have a lot to redistribute unless you've got growing vibrant employment centers those employment centers can be in neighborhoods they can be industrial areas they can be in the port but the bottom line is without that type of growth you won't have the resources to provide basic services. So it's not an either or choice. It's finding out how to have a growing economy, expanding opportunity, and then to have enough resources to be able to redistribute to those who need services.
0: I think when I heard you talk about the numbers, 43 percent of the employment is downtown in the Philadelphia area. Another 11 percent is in the in the areas just um, adjacent to. And so that means you have the majority of employment sitting in or adjacent to downtown. Some cities don't find themselves in that situation. In fact, in a lot of downtowns, residential is growing far faster than you know than employment, I would contend you still need a vibrant downtown, right? Because um, it it says something about I think the the health and well-being of your city. But I'm curious how you would think about that sort of situation that I know you're you're lucky enough not to have in Philadelphia.
1: Well, I think there are different forms of different cities. Philadelphia is an old city. It was built around a transit system. So it is that old-style hub in the center of a major downtown with neighborhoods surrounding it. But lots of even old cities, if you go to New York City, they have at least three downtowns. They've got downtown, they've got midtown, and this whole emerging area in Brooklyn. But then you go to newer cities like Atlanta or Houston or Los Angeles And those are places with four or five almost equal major employment nodes. So downtown may be the term I use because I come from a city where that is the form of the city. But the message is the same. Jobs are not evenly dispersed across the entire geography of cities. They cluster in places. And the more tightly clustered they are, usually the more successful those places are. So cities are about these intense concentrations of dense jobs, which hopefully connect by transit to people across the city and region. But then they're also about purely residential areas. But what's really emerged in most American cities is the traditional downtown, which used to just be a nine-to-five workplace, is now thriving with people living there as well. So we've got this huge live-work environment going on. So we've got multiple trends happening at the same time. In most cases, those thriving live-work downtowns and cities don't have a lot of affordable housing in them. But if they're connected by transit to the rest of the city and region, then the economic center can still provide that huge center of opportunity.
0: Paul, you and I have been talking about the shifts in the economy that are demanding a different kind of workspace and that affects downtowns like yours in Philadelphia and downtowns everywhere. You've been looking at these changes in several cities around the country and you've been thinking about how office space in downtown Philadelphia needs to respond. What's happening and what are the possible responses?
1: Well, I think there's been a long-term trend in traditional office space that technology is driven that we've all seen, that we're using less office space and individuals occupy less per square footage, there's less support staff, etc. So there's been a shrinking person per square foot number that's been out there. What that's led to in a lot of cases, in a lot of cities, the older 1920s or even 1950s office inventory has sometimes become obsolete. And that's been the source of a huge number of conversions to residential use in a lot of cities. That's a good trend. It's a positive trend. We've seen that trend in Philadelphia. You see it in Dallas. You see it in Los Angeles alongside of new construction. And so the conversion of older obsolete office space to residential is a good and positive trend, but where one has to be cautious and where I think the growth of the independent economy is very encouraging, the growth of tech firms, the growth of co-working spaces becomes encouraging is while major firms may not be doing a huge amount of expansion of employment unless they're in an explosive growth mode, there's a growing number of people who are either independent or who are working in environments where they're contracting for their work and they are users of not traditional office space they won't probably go into the class a office building but they may if someone converts an older b building a 1920s building to a flexible office space at a lower cost that could be a huge benefit so what we're seeing in Philadelphia, and I know this happened in lower Manhattan and a lot of other cities, is buildings 10 years ago that would have gone purely residential, a positive trend, are now diversifying. So they may have several floors or entire floors of flexible space, space of co-working space, of incubator space. So there's a real opportunity to help give birth to the next economy. In the older inventory in our downtowns that are still doing very well with the current economy with office space.
0: To what do you attribute the remarkable comebacks of downtowns in many of the most unlikely cities?
1: I think there's multiple factors going on. I think number one, energy costs have up and stayed up so that incentive for endless sprawl which built this you know the regions of the fifties and sixties that's come to an end. So one energy costs are I think a key factor. I think two, the nature has, of work has changed. You used to sit at your desk and only talk on the telephone and if you were an executive you would hand your handwritten notes to a secretary who would type. Well today People are sitting in parks, they're sitting in public spaces, they're sitting in cafes, or they're sitting in their office space, and they're doing most of the work themselves on handhelds or on computers that can move around. And so the nature of work has changed, and because people can work anyplace, the quality of place becomes much more important. So those cities that are succeeding are not just nine-to-five workplaces. They've got these great Arts and entertainment venues, they've got great restaurants, they've got great outdoor spaces. So I think the nature of work and people's expectations and technology enabled changes has changed the nature of work itself and the environment in which people want to have that. Now, when energy costs went up, too, people simply ceased to want to have to commute so much. That has driven a lot of interest in the live-work environment that's attractive to at least two demographic groups, one, empty nesters who are coming back to the city, but two, where there's been a lot of emphasis on younger people. And there is a wonderful cultural change out there now, which is... For people of my generation, baby boomers, cities had a negative image. Cities were places to be avoided. For people coming of age in their 20s and 30s today, they've lived with the revival of cities. They have totally positive images of them. And so you've got a demographic and cultural change that is very much more in favor of cities. And then there's the role that business improvement districts have played across. I mean, there are more than 1,000 of them now in North America in all the older cities, they all focused on clean and safe. So those negatives, which made cities less competitive, have been largely eliminated in, in almost all the business areas of cities. So you've got a series of things converging, energy costs, cultural change, demographic change, the role of reform and uh, progressive mayors, the gro- role of business improvement districts, mixed in with the diversification of the downtown economy, and all comes together as incredibly good news, which is for the first time in a long time, cities are on the upswing. They have the luxury of worrying about equity and distribution issues. Those are good problems to be able to think about solving at the city level. So it's probably never been a better time in the last 30 to 40 years for American cities.
0: What's next for downtown Philadelphia?
1: Well, as our organization has focused beyond just the clean and safe and beyond streetscape improvements, we've been very much involved in developing and managing parks, as have other organizations. And I think there's a real understanding in this and other cities that when you improve public spaces, it's not just a park improvement project. It's part of a comprehensive development strategy that park development can leverage real estate development, that residential development can leverage retail. So we're really focused on the next generation of parks, just as we've completed our major Dilworth Park. We're looking at creating a new park on a derelict viaduct inspired by the High Line in New York City. But that's part of how a new area of the city opens up for artists and for for residents and for businesses, but built around the amenity of a great public space. I think that's the path a lot of cities are going down today.
0: Paul, it's always a pleasure to catch up with you. Thanks for being our guest on Night Cities.
1: Thank you very much, and thanks to the Knight Foundation for all the support they've given us all.
0: Paul Levy is president and CEO of Center City Philadelphia. You can follow us on Twitter at hashtag NightCities and at C. Coletta. Find out first when new conversations are posted by signing up for our newsletter at nightfoundation.org forward slash features forward slash NightCities. You've been listening to Night Cities. I'm Carol Coletta.